1: Last one still stinging, back on my mind, A few that phone ringing, and there I am, no way back from this, everything hits the once, what we need is just
0: what And we welcome want. to No Filler. A music podcast dedicated to sharing the often overlooked hidden gems that fill the space between the singles on our favorite records. My name is Quentin. Got my brother Travis with me here, and we are getting back into our love for Spoon, our favorite band of all time. Um, we're going to be talking about their third studio album, Girls Can Tell, which came out in February of 2001.
2: This is the one, dude. Yeah, I'm so stoked! Yeah, this is my this is probably my favorite Spoon record. There's just something about it. Yeah.
0: So last month we covered Spoon's um, second studio album, a series of sneaks, and we kind of uh, dove a little bit into all the controversy surrounding um, their relationship with their A and R guy uh, at the record label that they were signed with briefly, um, Elektra. And they're falling out with the label, and we kind of just left it, left you hanging there. At that point, they were without a label, and uh, Britt Daniel even started teaching for a little bit. He was a substitute teacher. Uh, he worked at at a bank for a little bit. Um, and if you go back and listen to our sidetrack for that episode, um, you know that was considered the dark period. Jim Eno, their drummer, also referred to it as the Locust period. Mm -hmm. A lot of things went wrong. Um, Things just weren't lining up for them. Um, You know, they got signed to this major record label, and then just out of the blue, shit just hits the fan. And they get dropped just a few months after the record's release. And they were just kind of hanging out in purgatory as a band. And we'll pick back up. At that point, in the story of Spoon, but first, let's um, let's get into our what you heards for the week. This is where we share some music that we've been listening to lately, just a a way to share uh, some more music with you. Travis, I'll let you go first, my brother. What have you been listening to lately?
2: Yeah, so um, just today, I saw that um, Beach House had released a few singles. Um, to tease their upcoming album, which is actually uh, set to release on May eleventh, which, depending on when we put this episode out, could be yesterday. <laughs> but either way, cool. It will be out there uh, once this episode gets released.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm uh, I'm pretty excited actually uh, to hear some some new Beach House because for me, I stopped paying attention to Beach House, I guess, around 2010 2011. Um, I was really into their album teen dream.
2: Yeah. That's kind of the, that's the, that's the album that put them on the map Great record. Um, but they dude, they've had three albums since then. Um, the thing with, with beach house is that they, they seem to kind of evolve, I guess with every album, not, not necessarily like get better. I'm not saying they get better with every, I'm just saying they, they, they're constantly changing, you know,
0: what about band members? Are they also changing band? Movies? Well, it's
2: the it's the core two uh, members, Alex Scally, and Victoria Legrand, and they've had like drummers and stuff that will tour with them. With this new album, which is called Seven because it's their seventh album, which is is kind of kind of crazy, yeah, 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 because they had two that came out before Teen Dream. So they've been doing this for 13 years, which is kind of crazy to think about. That is crazy. Um, but again, you know, Teen Dream came out eight years ago. so <laughs> Don't remind me. I know, dude. So yeah, this this album is called Seven. And um, what you're going to definitely hear on this song, too, is there is a... I think they made this shift um, for on Depres- uh, Depression Cherry, which came out a, f- a couple albums back. But it's got some electronic elements to it. But they, they basically they brought in this guy to kind of take on... So there's the drummer, their, their, their live drummer, their touring drummer is on this album. And then they brought in this guy, Peter Kimber, who, is, who goes by Sonic Boom to sort of focus on the rhythm sections, which is kind of the big shift from sort of their, their previous work. So basically, he is a um, he is like a producer, synthesizer, keys kind of guy. So anyway, uh, this song is called "Lemon Glow," and uh, it's got me all kinds of pumped up for this album, dude. So let's just let it play.
1: Read mm-hmm. my
0: Reminded me of um, Fantagram. Did you ever get into them? No, not really. Well, I guess it's probably due to this uh, Sonic Boom dude coming in and, and dropping some electronic knowledge. I'm just on I,
2: it. I, i'm drawn to um, i'm draw, drawn to the those kind of those beats, those electronic that synthesizer thing in the background. The drumming is cool. I like the. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just there's something uh, something about her voice, Victoria's voice, that's always kind of. Uh, draw me into into their music. It's, she kind of sings, yeah. And this track specifically, with kind of that dreamy kind of voice. But um, cool. All right, Q. So what so what have you heard? What you've been listening to? Well, brother, it's another psychedelic rock band. But man,
0: I so shout out to my dear friend Elena. She got me into this band. Um, have you ever heard of a band called Wolf People? Nope. They've been around since 2005, and they are labeled a psychedelic rock band. But um, the album that I got into is called Ruins. It's their latest album, which came out in 2016, and it's not. I mean, I I wouldn't put them in psychedelic rock. I don't know. I don't know where I'd put them under. But um, if you listen to albums that came out before Ruins, they were kind of they were definitely like if you listen to their first album, Tidings, which came out in two thousand nine, I believe, two thousand ten. They were definitely it's just like like what you said about uh the band Temples, you know, like they're just pulling from the um from the psychedelic rock gods, you know. Just nothing new. Um fun to listen to, but but nothing unique or interesting, you know. And then since then, they've kind of evolved with the album Ruins. The band, so this is, I'm quoting from Wikipedia here, says they attempted to, quote, remove at least some of their folkiness. And uh, according to their singer, uh, Jack Sharp, they were heavily influenced by the music of Black Sabbath. Okay. Early UK hard rock, um, stuff like that. Um, so actually so if you if you play this album the first two or three tracks are heavy like you're you'd love it dude really um emphasis on the on the guitar riffs and really heavy distorted guitar lines i think you'd really like it but the song that i'm going to share with you is a lot uh it's it is <laughs> it is folky like they said they're trying to get away from their folkiness but um i don't know for for me like so, I, I'm just getting into the new season of Westworld. Oh, me too, dude. And, yeah. All right, yeah, cool. Man. Well, um, there's just something about the guitar line that just kind of fits in that world. Like, So, yeah, I'm just going to play it, dude. Okay. I think you're really going to like this song. All right. Let's hear it. So, again, this song is called... Uh, actually, I didn't mention it before. <laughs> this song is called Kingfisher. And uh, this is off of Wolf People's 2016 album, Ruins. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I did like that, dude. That was that
0: was pretty, pretty sweet. I thought you'd like it, man. Um, yeah, it's really good. And like I said, if you if you listen to the album start to finish, like there's a lot of really heavy moments in the album too. I, I think you'll okay. really like it. Yeah,
2: dude. dude that sounds because that's not very heavy, right? No. So.
0: Uh, Kingfisher is the first song on this record that isn't heavy. Okay. Um, yeah. But. Dude, the first few tracks are just fantastic, man. Like yeah, I said, uh, emphasis on the on the guitar work. Uh, really heavy, distorted stuff. Really good. Um, anyways, so again, that's Wolf People, and that was their, their song, Kingfisher, which came out on their album Ruins from 2016. I think it's about time to dive into some Spoon once more. How, what do you say, my friend? Let's do it. So when we left Spoon last month, Shit just wasn't going right for them, dude.
2: Well, they got—they ultimately got their revenge when they came out with "Agony of Lafitte," which we covered on the sidetrack. So, I mean, they—they they got the last laugh because that's kind of what brought some attention back on them, you know, and perhaps led to Merge reaching out and and signing them, you know. Yeah. So, but we're talking about
0: Girls Can Tell today, and. Like you said, and I'm with you on this, this is definitely my favorite Spoon album. They were going for something different with this one. And uh, they eventually got signed on to Merge Records. But according to Jim Eno, nobody wanted to put it out after they recorded it. uh, Which, imagine their frustration once again. (laughs) You know, they make this record, they think it's great. Uh, They couldn't find anyone who was willing to get behind it. Uh, apparently they sent the copy to Merge and Merge just kind of sat on it for a few months is is how how they put it Uh, before someone finally gave it a listen called the band and said they liked it and wanted to put it out so they started recording Girls Can Tell in in, uh, 2000 so two years go by and then they, they don't release Girls Can Tell until February of 2001 so that's three years and during that time, they weren't even on a record label.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, you know, like you said, that you know, they refer to it as the Locust years. You know, I think they, like Jim, went and had some side gigs. So did, uh, so did Brit. You know, like he was a school teacher. I think we talked about that. Yeah. So yeah, that's probably why these songs have such a huge, um, such a change in like the sound and the vibes. You know, because they were in a whole different headspace, you know? Cuz you go from like the highs of like being being signed onto onto a major record label like Electra to getting, you know, dumped essentially the vibes of of the songs on Girls Much School. more mellow, dude. Yeah, and and Much another thing that you, that you will certainly notice is um a piano being added, which go like becomes like a staple of a spoon, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, like I said, it's, uh, you know what, let's just let Jim Eno kind of tell the story. So this is the drummer, of course, and uh, I think we played a clip from this interview when we talked about Series of Snakes, but he's being um, interviewed by this College of Arts, I think, or something like that. Anyway, he talks about that change in sound between Series of Snakes and Girls Can Tell
3: part of what you guys brought to the kind of musical vocabulary is really great pop songs but that are always housed with an angular element that are always cracking at some point that you don't expect them to. Right, right. So when you get to give me fiction then it's like you have this whole sound that has just been developed all through almost that entire decade. Yeah, I I feel like our first two records were different than that though. I feel like our first record was a sort of capture what we do live kind of thing. And Britt even says, he's like, I wanted to be in a band that played fast, quick songs, short songs, because he felt like we would get more gigs. You know, and that was the thing. If we could play Hole in the Wall on campus on a Friday night in a headline, it's like, we made it, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, and so that was the idea behind that record. And, and then Series of Sneaks was exploring a little bit more, but it was definitely still rock and roll, you know, like, uh, well, like, I guess more alt-rock, I guess, you know. Um, And then when Girls Can Tell happened, you know, he had been listening to a lot of, like, Marvin Gaye, and and he basically threw everything up and is like, I think, you know, anything is fair game to put on a spoon song. Mm -hmm. Good piano, it's fine. It's like, it's no, you know, I'm just going to do what I feel is right. And so a lot of that change of sound happened on girls can tell. And I feel like that is a changing point that we've been sort of crafting since then.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I've got something to add to that. Um, So Britt Daniel was interviewed by consequence of sound. And I believe we uh, pulled a few quotes from this interview uh, on our last episode on spoon as well. Um, Back in August of 2017, they kind of just had a rundown of, of their whole discography and just kind of having Brit Daniel kind of talk about each record and the the sound that each each record had. Uh, And he's kind of talking about the two albums, Telefono and a series of sneaks that came out before Girls Can Tell. He says, we were sort of operating by these, quote, cool rules. We were going to be a guitar, bass, and drums outfit. And that's all we really wanted to do. And at some point, I was just like, Well, there's all this other stuff that I really do like. Why not just try it? Um, Then he gets kind of gets back into music that he's always really liked. Um, Motown, 60s soul kind of stuff. And he says, and I'm pulling this from an interview from the Austin Chronicle in August of 2002. Uh, He says, for girls can tell, I was trying to write songs like the Everly Brothers. Those pop soul records are the ones I go back to over and over and over again. Uh, I want to write songs that sound more classic rather than a series of sneaks, which my parents would definitely not like.
2: Yeah, well, it's interesting because, you know, like Jim was saying, like he was listening to a lot of like Marvin Gaye and stuff. And so like Brit Daniels is such a phenomenal musician that like he realized early on that he didn't want to like box himself into just straight rock Alt rock type songs, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you can certainly hear that, and girls can tell. So, how about we jump into our first pick? Let's do it. Which I think is uh, Believing is Art, right? It is, yep. Yeah. Track so two this, Believing is Art. This is probably uh, my favorite song on the record. Mine because too, because there's man. so this much something There's about so this much one. that goes on with it, yeah. And it's got, I'm going to refer to it as Noir because I don't have any other term that I can think of but with like and you'll hear it right from the from the rip there's like this kind of organ sound to me it it's it, the imagery that I conjure up is like like a city at night mm-hmm. and I equate that with like noir I think I mentioned noir before when we were talking about Tosca but I don't know what term to use but there's these dark darker notes that can get played a lot of times in jazz and stuff and I feel like um, Britt Daniels and, and the, the, the keys, specifically on Spoon songs, a lot of times kind of have that vibe. I think Minor Tough had that vibe, which was a song we played uh, for the Series of Sneaks episode. But anyway. All right, so here's clip number one from track number
0: two, Believing is Art.
2: So yeah, you heard that guitar come in, that shift, you know, mm-hmm. um, and the, you know, the organ sound almost kind of sounded like a, like it was going through like a, like a Leslie speaker or something, you know, the, kind of the spinning kind of sounds like vibrato kind of on it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, another thing I thought was, was kind of cool that I read, um, in that same Consequence of Sound interview they started using instruments like the vibraphone and the mellotron for this album.
2: Yeah, I think that's the vibraphone they were hearing.
0: Yeah, and apparently, Britt Daniel was super into the kinks at the time. He was on like a huge kinks kick, which is what led to them using uh, the harpsichord in songs like The Fitted Shirt and Anything You Want. Um, so, And I thought this was funny, too. Britt Daniels is quoted saying, uh, I found this website right when online sales of music were starting. He says, maybe it was called CD Universe. Remember that, dude? Yeah, dude. He says, there was a flaw in their system, so as long as I entered a different address every time, I could order a free CD. So I ordered at various addresses the entire Kinks catalog. If it wasn't for that website, Girls Can Tell might have had a different attitude and sound. So he was way into the Kinks, dude. He was listening to their entire catalog while he was writing this music. Um, yeah, that's cool. And he was going for more poppy, you know, classic Motown tunes. Uh, another influence for this record um, is an album by Elvis Costello called Get Happy, which had a major influence on their use of the vibraphone and Mellotron. So, Brit Daniels starts starts experimenting and getting out there, and, you know, he tries to step away from that, quote-unquote, cool rules that he was trying to adhere to for no Particular reason, where he just wanted to be a strictly you know three piece guitar bass and drums, fun to see live. That's so it seems like Brit Daniel started out trying to make it big, you know. um Yeah. Like what Jimmy was saying, he was trying to pack the venue, right? Right. And get get attention, and it's interesting that it took them getting dropped from a record label. They decided to just completely change their sound. I think it's a pretty big change, dude.
2: There's a, I mean, there's a, there's almost a huge change between each of their albums, um, between a series of Sneaks and gimme fiction. You know what I mean? But uh, oh yeah, I think this is like the most drastic change that you'll notice between these two. Yeah, I want to play clip two
0: from believing is art. Uh, this clip has this really cool thing that Britt Daniels does with his guitar. Just the cool signature just random experimental stuff that he kind of does uh with with his guitar and like I'm, I'm assuming he's using quite a few different effects pedals to pull it off what i like about what he does it, it always seems like he's kind of just improving stuff on his guitar while he's recording and he just he, he it seems like he just leaves it in most of the time um so here's clip two from believing his Art.
2: love the way that uh, the way that he sings it sounds like he's uh he, he almost like he makes this noise with his his mouth almost like it sounds like a like he's making like a splash sound or something like that i don't know but did you catch I that i know what you're talking about dude. yeah i don't know what yes. that is but that's just badass i don't know what that is yeah but. so
0: let's read the lyrics just for fun because one thing I, that i always think is funny about the way brit sings a lot of times it's really hard to tell what he's saying um but that's because he he just has fun with 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 his lyrics and his approach to to how he sings them, like like you had mentioned in our previous episode, they're they're really good at keeping your attention. And so that part there, when he starts singing again, he says, uh, think about it a while. The end ain't that bad. Take out the trash with one hand, it falls apart like a band. Just hold on to it tight. Uh yeah, and let, dude, let's, let's see if we can, let's play that, that part again. I, I just want to hear him sing that part again. Yeah, dude. Right there, right? Yeah. It's not even in the lyrics. Like it's, it, like he's, he's just making noises with his mouth again. It
2: makes you wonder if that was just an improv in the studio or if that, you know, or if that was yeah. intended. What's the know, lyric? Man, What's yeah. the lyric that that leads to that?
0: Is, that part right there is think about it a while the end ain't that bad. Yeah. That's it. Anyways, I love that song. That is easily one of my favorite Spoon songs to date. Yeah, that's great, um, man.
2: Oh, dude, you want to talk about the drumming on that track? Oh, fuck, yeah, dude. Um, one of my
0: favorite drum beats that Jim Eno has ever
2: yeah, um, it's just, like, it like it drives a song straight from the beginning, man. Like, it's just awesome. Right. Awesome drum beat. It's so unique, too. And, you, and you know, as it. we covered in the last episode, like, his background is, is jazz drumming, so. I'm going to say it again, dude. What I love so much
0: about the way Jim Eno plays, it really is simple, right? I mean, would you agree, as, as someone who isn't a drummer, his drum beats are simple. They always are. I always compare him to Ringo Starr. Um, Ringo Starr is another one of those extremely simple drummers that just just does it right. I don't, you know, I don't know how to how else to explain it. He, they both just kind of like what we were saying about um, saxophone player for for shot A. His name escapes me at the moment, but like that's the mark of a of a really good musician is one that that keeps it simple. Um, but effective, you know?
2: Right, and that's what made Ringo Starr so incredible.
0: Yeah. So let's bring up the fact again that that for Spoon, they are going from a quote-unquote major record label, Electra, to a very small independent label um, when they got signed to merge and released Girls Can Tell. Brit General says it's probably the probably the smallest label that they've ever worked with. Um, but at the same time, at this point in the band, this was the first time that they'd ever had any upward movement in terms of sales or um, they are starting to get offers to play more shows. Uh, when they played shows, the rooms that they were playing in started to fill up with people. You know, people started actually showing up and paying attention Yeah. Uh, when they got onto merch. Let's let's get into to our second pick. Uh, this is another one of my favorites spoon songs it's called the fitted shirt and it's it's track five on the record want to just go ahead and play it and then we'll, we'll go from there <laughs>
2: You, you you've got some, uh, you looked into the sort of the meaning behind the song a little bit, right?
0: Yeah, apparently, Britt Daniel saw an old picture of his dad going to work. Which, for one, it's funny that some, Britt Daniel's, what, probably in his 40s or 50s, I imagine? Yeah. Uh, and he has a, a picture of his dad. I just imagine Britt Daniel's mom, like, oh, you look so cute in your shirt and tie. I'm going to take a picture. Anyways. <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> he says it was a look that I didn't see too much anymore. I mean, tight fitted, you know, pants and and, and shirts is uh, oh, shit. Maybe back in the '90s, yeah. Because, dude, I mean, this is kind of a kind of a cliche, but if you ever watch Friends, early episodes of Friends, yeah, dude, the the fashion back then was uh, just seemed to be really baggy. Yeah, dude. I'm not talking about Jinko jeans. I'm I'm glad
0: that we were just kids during the 90s. You know? We got to skip over that. But yeah, so so verse verse one. When I was still growing up and dad head off to work, he put coat and tie on over a fitted shirt. Nothing else will fit right or seem so directly applied than fitted shirt hung on me. I I, I like the lyrics of the song. I think that's what I like the most about this song, really, is the lyrics.
2: It's a very like um, observational like, I've always liked songs like this where, you know, yeah. there's no he's like, singing
0: about his dad's old used shirt
2: that that's what I'm he saying. inherited. There, there, you know, there's nothing deep about the song. There's no like meaning or anything. You know, he's you know he sees this picture of his dad. He's like, man, he's looking, he's looking sharp in that shirt. And then he goes and, and, and starts yeah. wearing uh, his dad's shirt. He's gonna go find some buttons so that he can start wearing that shirt. You know. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I'm gonna. I just want to read the very end of, of verse two. So like the end of the song. I just like this part a lot. He says, um, "But when I go out tonight, I'm going to put on a fitted shirt. One day it'll take, and they'll start to make shirts that fit right. Until then, I suppose I still got Dad's clothes, and that's all right." <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I fucking love it, dude. It's great, man. There's a lot of simple songs on this record, and a lot of really short songs too. Um, I think the like the the whole duration of this record is like 36 minutes or something. It's really short yeah anyways you want to jump into our last pick? yeah let's do it. So this is the the next song right after the fitted shirt and we're gonna play the whole song um It's really short. it's just over two minutes long so this is. Uh, A song called Anything You Want.
2: so cute there's a couple of of um lyrics in this song that for you know the longest time i was always curious as to what he's actually saying because like we said sometimes he the way he kind of sings he'll basically write a lyric and just fit it into the the song somehow you know what i mean yeah dude i'm, I'm gonna talk about
0: I'm definitely gonna talk about the same line as you at least at least once here. I've got a couple lines in here that I love too,
2: dude. Let's just see if it's the same fucking ones that I'm about to talk. Let's about. do it. I like it when he says you're at your you're at your best when you got the guns turned 180 degrees. That's my favorite spoon lyric to date, dude. It's fucking it's I, such a I great love that line. line, dude. Yeah, you're at your best when you got the gun pointed at yourself. Yeah, and then and then. Um, uh, the the very last lyric of the song
3: since yes you were
2: 19 and still in school waiting on the light on the corner by sound exchange yes i no, i'm gonna ask you because you since you lived in austin is that is yeah. he's referencing something in austin no okay uh, i thought maybe sound he, exchange was some uh, some maybe some cd store or some venue or something like that from austin that he might have been no
0: not austin so here's the deal dude um so he was interviewed by Pitchfork in 2014. Um, so, Sound Exchange. So he is referencing, he's talking about, so this actually happened. So he is singing about his uh, girlfriend from '98. Her name's Eleanor Friedberger. I believe that's how you say it. She's I feel like actually, I've heard that uh, name before. Well, she's a singer-songwriter herself. Okay. This is something that he specifically remembers. You know he says he can see her standing on that corner um, They kind of inter- the, the, the person interviewing him for for pitchfork uh, also kind of points to that line uh, as some, one of his favorite moments in spoon. Um, he kind of just you know he kind of just crams all all of the, all those words in at the very last minute there. Yeah uh, and Britt Daniel says, yeah, uh, this is a song about Eleanor Friedberger and it was a big picture song. That at the end, it zooms way into this specific, specific moment. Um, and again, he says, I, I could see her standing on that corner. Um, and, and the pitchfork guy says, part of the power of that line comes from the way that the syllables get crammed in there at the end. Yeah, uh, It's like you have to rush the words out. Here's something I like what Brit Daniel says after that. He says, that's what's great about it, right? It originally wasn't like that. It was just regular syllables at the end. And the, the lyric before that was, quote, "'This is a song called Fuck or Fight. "'It's the same thing every night.'" Okay, but Jim suggested it didn't fit the mood. Jim, you know. Uh, so I came up with that other idea. Uh, apparently, their then bassist, Josh Zarbo, thought that that ruined the song. But Brit Daniel thought that it really made everything personal and unexpected. And when they recorded it, their co-producer Mike McCarthy had him fade off of the mic at the end of the line. So it's totally personal and real. That's uh, how Brad Daniel says it. So he can't. Yeah. So he kind of he kind of backs away from the mic at the very end. You know, like he's he's cramming it all in and just kind of backs away. Um, well, like if you I if love you try that, to dude.
2: if you try to sing the lyric and keep up with them, you almost yeah. run out of breath trying to trying to get it yeah. all out. You know what I mean? And again, yeah. it's like, those are the kind of moments that make a spoon song, a spoon song. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, fuck the, the, the cadence of the, the, the rest of the verse and stuff. And like trying to like keep, you know, like, oh, you know, I gotta, what was it like, you know, back when we were writing poems and stuff and like grade school, you know what I mean? Got to check your right. syllables and make sure. it all right, right, right. Like who cares? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he wanted to get that out there and put it in there. And like he said, it made it personal. And it just makes it stand out. Like that's, and it's the last verse of the song, the last like words of the song. You know what I mean? It really makes you pay attention. Yeah.
0: Yep. And uh, so to, to kind of wrap this all up in a nice little bow, I thought it was cool. Um, you remember I referenced that uh, one of the big influences on Brit for using uh, the vibraphone and Mellotron was that Alvis Costello album, Get Happy. Well, he l- listens to that album on cassette tape with eleanor friedberger back when they lived in chicago together back in 98 she who knows if 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 she was the one who showed him that record or or what you know Um, but it's just cool that that elvis Costello record that he listened to with eleanor had a big influence on this record and a specific memory of her uh gets thrown into one of these songs um and that's one of my favorite one of my favorite spoon moments Yeah, no doubt, dude. Yeah, so that's... Girls can tell, dude. I mean, like we say always, we're just barely scratching the surface here um, because we don't want to have two-hour episodes because, I mean, good God, listening to us for an hour is probably hard enough. Am I right? (laughs) Um, What are some of your other favorite songs on this record, dude?
2: I really like the opening track, Everything Hits at Once.
0: Yeah, so that's the song that we... Intro the podcast with for this episode um that's a great one i like track three me and the bean uh which is actually a cover and i think we might we might do that one for our sidetrack dude we might maybe dive into a little bit of the artist that they covered i won't mention who
2: it is yet i'll tell you um, what another one i think i think take the fifth might be my second favorite track yeah take the the fifth is a great a great song Uh, yeah yeah that one's good man I think Take the Fifth um, sounds the most like what they were doing on Kill the Moonlight. I feel like that's a good transition song into uh, some of the stuff they did on their next album. So
0: Yeah, he does a lot of cool things with the piano uh, in Take the Fifth. Really interesting stuff. Anyways, um, yeah, this is a this is an album that you can easily listen to all the way through. Like I said, it's only just just over 36 minutes long. It's over before you know it, but you're going to want to listen to it again and again. And like we said, this is our probably our favorite Spoon album uh, to date. Yeah. So that is our second installment of our Spoon Love Fest. Again, we're going to jump back into Spoon a month from now, I guess. Um, and we'll touch on their 2002 album, Kill the Moonlight. So that came out... This is one that, that that's coming out just a year after Girls Can Tell was released, and um, there's a there's a, a a lot a lot to talk about for Kill the Moonlight, dude. I, I don't, I'm not gonna know where to start, you know, as far as picking songs too.
2: It's gonna be hard, dude. There's so many good songs on Kill the Moonlight. Yeah, and Kill the Moonlight was like our, at least it was my it was my introduction to Spoon. Like that was the first album that I heard of theirs. Yeah, um, same. Yeah, it's it's gonna be really hard to narrow it down to to three songs, you know
0: yeah so as always if you want to know a little bit more about about the artists that we cover you want to dive a little bit more into to what we talked about if you hop over to our website nofillerpodcast.com there you can read our show notes for each episode where we provide a track listing for all the songs that we that we played um, we've got links to all of our, our sources so if you want to Kind of dive into a little bit more about about what we talk about here. You can, Chances are you'll find more information on our website. You can also stream our episodes straight from the website through uh, SoundCloud. Uh, You can also subscribe to us on iTunes or pretty much any other podcast app that you use. Uh, We're on Stitcher as well. And check back with us next week. We're going to do a little sidetrack episode for Spoon. And yeah, that's gonna that's gonna be it for us today. For the outro song, I'm gonna go with the Kinks because nice. when I found out that Britt Daniel was super into to the Kinks while he was writing this record, I got pretty stoked, dude. Because you know I was listening to the Kinks a lot when I was living in Austin, dude. It's all all thanks to Wes Anderson for me, dude. He got me into the Kinks because. Yeah, I mean, he's got at least one Kings song, it seems like, in in every single one of his movies. Not really, but, I mean, he's a huge Kings fan. Um, And one of my favorite Kings records is called uh, Face to Face, which came out in 1966. And, you know, he mentions wheeling out the harpsichord for uh, the fitted shirt because of his love for the Kings. He feels like that's probably why he did it. Yeah. I immediately thought of this song on face-to-face called Session Man, which is probably one of my favorite King songs. And, uh, yeah, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, check back next week for our Sidetrack episode. Um, and, Trev, are, are we going to do Interpol for our next full episode?
2: Is it time for some turn on the bright lights? I think it's time, dude. I think it's time, yeah. I'll need to do some serious um, preparation for that one, dude, because I want to I want to do it justice. That's that, that remains that remains one of my um, like when I look back at the so- the albums that like, I feel like it, like changed the way I, um, like my relationship to music, like changed the way that I like felt yeah. about music. That's one of them.
0: Yep. Yeah, I agree, dude. Yeah, that's that's another one of those albums, like kind of like what we said about Girls Can Tell. Um, the entire album just has this really this vibe, yeah. This vibe, yeah, dude. Just just it. Just, just, ta- just puts you in uh, this headspace.
2: Did you get into them as heavy as I did?
0: No, no, dude. We'll, we'll get into this, dude. No, yeah, it took me so a while. I'll, yeah, I'll, a while I'll take to get the
2: lead. I'll take the lead on this one for sure. Yeah,
0: cool. All right, so uh, that's going to do it for us this week, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna play out this episode with some kinks again my name is quentin
2: my name is travis catch you on the flippity flop see you all next time
1: A chord progression a top musician He's not paid To think, just play A session man A session man A session man playing the different studio where-